Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, joined, as always, by my co-host, Ben. Hello, hello. And today we are joined by a repeat customer, Nick. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Hello, thanks for having me back. Of course. So, Nick, what has changed in your life in the last 12 weeks? Uh, I've learned JavaScript uh and yep yep that's about <laughs> it just playing games learning stuff trying to fill my time mm-hmm. has it re- wait has it really been 12 weeks since nick was a guest something like that yeah he was an early one. Oh man it feels like we've had you on so much more i don't know maybe it's because i play a lot of games with you at this point that could be it uh nick didn't you move apartments since then Oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess some more stuff has happened. He was too busy, all... too busy learning JavaScript. Yeah, you know, my girlfriend mainly was doing the moving stuff. I was just kind of... You were uh... just coding in the background? Well, yeah, <laughs> just watching. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, that's true. Moved apartments, still in L.A., but slightly different part of L.A. Uh, oh, I went outside and ate at a restaurant for like the first time in four months. Uh, yeah, I, went I thought you were just going to say you went outside, but yeah, <laughs> that's what I was expecting, too. Well, I went for a walk today, too, so that's, you know, things are pretty Looking exciting. Yeah. What kind of restaurant did you go to, and did you sit inside or outside, and how was it? It was an Italian restaurant, uh, patio seating. They actually were following uh, social distancing, and there was probably like 15 feet between the different tables which was very impressive and uh oh yeah that's right they took too long to take out our entrees and so we got free dessert and drinks Holla. wow trying what to support little businesses wait but what dessert did you get that's the important question they brought us a tiramisu and oh. uh no cannolis es- espresso i covered ice cream they like poured espresso over a lump of affogato is that what it i don't know that's what it's it called was... yes did they give uh... you an offer you couldn't refuse ben is our resident dessert expert oh I'm a... well so i don't i don't eat affogatos but i go to enough italian restaurants and it's my cousin and my mother's i don't know if it's my mom's favorite dessert but it's my cousin's favorite dessert so every time we go to this one italian restaurant because uh, being Jewish, we go to this Italian restaurant in New York City on Christmas every year, uh, though not so much anymore since pretty much everybody involved has moved away. But uh, we used to, and it's a family-style Italian restaurant, and we always get, or they always get, an affogato for uh, for dinner, or for dessert after dinner. I'm usually uh, sitting there with a cheesecake, because I love me some cheesecake. Yeah, but, my uh, girlfriend is lactose intolerant, so the tiramisu and affogato were appreciated, but probably a bit much. But they just brought it to our table, so we. Uh, yes, it, yeah, they didn't even offer it; they just they just gave it to us. Wow! Wow! So it was an offer you couldn't refuse. I, I yeah, I don't know. It was pretty great. Cool. Uh, Jessica and I were in Boston this weekend, checking out the city and the schools. And uh, we walked 12 miles on Saturday. That was our crowning achievement of movement, I guess. And we also ate at a restaurant for the first time in a long time. Patio seating as well. 
And it was really interesting because we sat down and the hostess said, you know, you can use the you can use your phones to check out the menu. You know, there's just a little UPC square on the table and they're like, you can just scan this and no, not UPC, a QR code. That's the thing, a QR code. And she's like, you can just scan this to find the menu. And we're like, okay, cool. So we're sitting there looking at the menu and then no one comes to help us for a few minutes. So we're like, oh, I guess we order on the website too from our phones, which, you know, could make perfect sense in COVID times. Uh, but then we couldn't figure out how to order on the website. So then we asked a passing waitress and we're like, do we order on the on the phone as well? She's like, oh, I'm your waitress. I'll be there in a couple of minutes. We're like, oh, geez, we weren't trying to rush anyone. We just don't know how social conventions work anymore. So impatient. I might as well complete the trifecta. I also ate patio seating at a burger place uh, on Saturday. Wow. And it was delicious. So, yeah. But to be fair, I'd been eating outside at restaurants for a lot longer because when I was in Florida, they don't care about nothing down there. So I was eating outdoors. Uh, We literally would not eat at restaurants unless it was outdoor seating, but we would eat outdoors. So I'd been eating at restaurants for a bit. Yeah, I think my I I would be super down to eat at other restaurants similar to that. But most of the restaurants now, they all have outdoor seating, obviously, but none of them are followed. Everyone is like squished together because they don't have enough room to fit all the normal tables. So they just shove a bunch of tables in together and people are mm-hmm. sitting like back to back. And it's uh, yeah, not ideal. Not it's funny because in Boston, when we were in Little Italy, there are all these super tiny restaurants that like were only ever able to hold like five or six tables. But now they have like half the street that they can put all these tables on socially distanced. And it's like better for them business wise now that they can expand into the street. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens when winter rolls around over here, because you know that outdoor seating is not going to be too much of a thing. But uh, I hope, Not in the snow. personally, I hope they don't rush back to full capacity indoors. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, let's talk about some uh, board games. Or, Nick, in your case, video games? I played some board games. But yes, mainly video games. This last uh, two weeks, I all I thought about was board games for like the first two or three months of COVID just to occupy my mind besides programming stuff. But now I have fully fanboyed onto uh, this new Battle Royale game that's come out called Spellbreak, where similar to most other Battle Royales, except instead of shooting each other with guns, you're a wizard and you're shooting spells at each other and uh, flying around the map. And it's pretty enjoyable mm-hmm. although i think i may have un- overdone it at this point and uh oh, no. starting to get a little angry <laughs> sometimes so it it's minimal and i will cut myself off at by the point where i start getting irritated but yes i think i need to slow it down a little bit mm-hmm. it sounds sounds fun i i'm not really I don't really like this battle royale trend as is. It it kind of like annoys me 
I don't know why. It's just one of those trends that like annoys me because I feel like there could be so many better games coming out, but everyone's trying to jump on this battle royale train. And I mean, I literally only play Call of Duty Warzone with like my brother and stuff because that's what they play, and I think it's okay. But that one actually sounds better because this the wizarding thing sounds fun. But I have l- almost zero interest in battle royale games. Mm-hmm. I played Fortnite a bit when it was first out and growing, and had a good old time. And then I played some Apex Legends as well. But uh, I tried Spellbreak because. Nick mentioned it, and I uh, went through the tutorial on the Xbox, and then I played in an online match, and uh, then I won, and I didn't know what I was doing like the entire time. And uh, yeah, it was okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, well, they do, and not to tarnish your your reputation in the no please tarnish my win i don't uh, seem to be good they no they do put you in a match with only bots for the first like two or three games so really oh yeah yeah. fantastic so so bad i didn't know that and i you know i thought i was (laughs) great at the game when i first i'm like wow this is so easy these guys suck (laughs) this is all uh yes so but uh yeah i'm i'm kind of done with battle royales too but they there is hope and they are mainly just they like started it out as a battle royale because it's such an easy game mode to implement and include a bunch of people in um but they are planning on adding new different game modes in the future so that is uh looking good Sounds fun. And speaking of winning games when you feel like you have no idea what you're doing, uh, we did, we did, uh, the world is ending people. I won a game of food chain magnet, uh, with Jonah involved. Oh no, I don't like that. That's part of the accomplishment. I mean, to be (laughs) fair, to be fair, I've never won a game and I've only played one game where Jonah was not involved. So I think it's pretty safe to say Jonah has been involved in almost every food chain game, but, uh, just to transition us to the board games, I I did win a game of Food Chain, and it's uh, an absolute miracle. I don't know how I did it. I feel like a fraud, um, but I'm gonna I, take the win. I know how it happened, and I, I barely know how it happened, but it happened. <laughs> there were uh, you were playing with bots because it was your first game, and uh... oh, that's it. That's exactly what it was. It wasn't me putting down the radio tower and giving you guys a bunch of free meals to sell to people. It was uh well yeah. for what just to discuss my strategy here. Uh because I completely screwed it up once again. Um I was going for the marketing strategy where Yeah, go ahead, Jonah, real quick. I just want to mention really quickly that we played with the expansion. And we tried out a few modules that we have not played before, or maybe just one that we hadn't played with before. But we used a good combination of easy-to-implement new modules, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. But just yeah, for sure. Dropping that. Um, yeah, so we, we did use the new milestones, and with those new milestones is the, uh, the first Marketeer-used milestone, which... Um, Gives you five dollars for every every piece of food you market to homes uh, from then on. Once you get it, 
And uh, I went that strategy this time after not doing that for so long. And it worked out well for me because I finally got some money. But uh, I, I was going for these two milestones that would give me <laughs> near permanent or very powerful advertisement bonuses without realizing that in the rules, it literally says they don't count toward the first marketeer used uh, milestone, which means I basically wasted my entire game trying to get up to these milestones and earn extra money, and it was never going to earn me extra money. So in essence, you saw something that looked overpowered, and then you found out that the reason it looks overpowered is because it is overpowered, and that's why you can't do it. Correct. <laughs> and it, uh, I, I think... Uh, let me, I don't know if I can find the quote that you sent to Patrick, if you remember the quote, but I think oh, no. I said multiple times during the game, none of this matters. Uh, and then I proceeded to win the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's how so, it went. I think I had a, a two or three turns where I literally said, none of this matters anyway. So let's just do this. Uh, cause at that point I was resigned to losing, but then, uh, I didn't realize that I was selling some stuff to some houses and we broke the bank really fast and the base price changed to $20 uh, which I think is the crucial mistake that Jonah I think you made was not, or Nick um, one of you guys made the crucial mistake of not realizing that the base price was going to change and uh, it it worked very very well in my favor uh, so that was a good good ending for me yeah so for a slightly detailed description of how things went towards the end because I was aware of what was happening. Not that it helped me win. Um, the changes to the game in the expansion are such that the base price will change, not just how much money gets added to the bank. So at the beginning, we would put in 5 10 or $20 as our new vote for what the new base price would be. And I put in the $5, which is cheaper than the normal $10, because I was doing a strategy that required the game to go on longer. And the way to guarantee that is to put in the cheaper base price, because then the bank drains at a slower rate after the halfway point. And my crucial mistake was not realizing that when the bank broke, I was not prepared for the new price to be $20. If it were 5 or 10 I was fine because I would have lasted one more turn to have an even bigger turn after that to win. But the bank broke after dinner time. And we also only had one more turn after that, which was a little strange. And I also thought it wasn't that great that we couldn't react to the new prices. But at the same time, one of us should have known what the new price would have been, being Nick, since he put in the $20, which wins tiebreakers. But uh, anyway, this is not to take away from your win at all, Ben, because you definitely won and you definitely deserved it. Uh, I, I don't think I did, but I am still happy that I won for once in my life. And now I can play this game terribly again in the future and still feel good about myself. What do you guys think of the... <laughs> modules we implemented I, I thought the movie stars would have been interesting earlier but maybe only if we had a fourth player yeah i uh it seemed like that would also be something that would be more important in longer games when you can really set up for like pricing wars and stuff 
and mm-hmm. when going first and having that tiebreaker of going before someone else in turn order, uh, those kinds of things. I think that would because I got that I got that the movie star and I used it, but it was the final round and so it didn't really do anything for me. Um, but yeah, the I. I chose to do the marketing strategy as well because it seemed a little more brainless where I just kind of like put down the marketing stuff and get money from the houses. But I think I should have gone for the uh, hiring manager or whatever instead. The yeah, the recruiting girl. Recruiting girl, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was too much. It was still too much. Like I think because the mistake I made was not realizing just how much money you could make from the houses that were next to parks and Mm -hmm. uh, that had a yard. And so I didn't have a restaurant next to any of those. And I was still marketing to them, so I had, like, no chance to even sell to those houses. And, yeah. Yeah, your initial restaurant placement was further away from all the houses than Ben. And since you both had the same initial milestone of minus two distance, he was just going to continue to beat you everywhere. But yeah, the first marketer milestone in the expansion is definitely more new person friendly, like you said. And that is precisely why I keep bashing my head against the game with a trainer strategy, because I'm determined to try and find a way to make it work. Because I think the first marketer and the first recruiting girl Played milestones are both really, really good and also easy to turn into something else. But if you have the first trainer milestone, I feel like you're just kind of playing catch up a lot. No pun intended. Um, and I think that can kind of be what's the word I'm looking for? Shown uh, by how our game went because I was just amassing all of these employees. And I didn't have to pay for any of their salaries, which was fantastic. And you guys were slowly getting some money. And then all of a sudden, there was a turn where I made 240 bucks. You doubled and, how much money I had made the entire game in one turn. And I right. was like, this is where I lose again. And then I just got lucky. But yeah. Yeah. So I still I think the trainer strategy can definitely work. I definitely made a mistake at the end, which helped you win. I mean, that's just how games work. But yeah, I think the trainer strategy is possible now. I think the more I play this game, the more I'm surprised I like it. Like, I don't, I, I can't explain why I like it. Because mm-hmm. I, I'm genuinely awful at it. And I always forget, like, a rule that, like, would make my game play so much better. But I always screw a rule up somewhere. And I, mm-hmm. I think I said during the game, I, I don't understand how I enjoy something that I'm so consistently terrible at, but I still enjoy it. And I don't like it's it's weird. I really can't explain why I like it, but I like it. And I mean, I'll keep playing it even though I lose all the time. But I don't know why I like it, but I do. And I don't know where I was going with this train of thought aside from that point. But yeah, I am pretty much in the same boat. It. Food Chain Magnate is kind of in the same boat as Terra Mystica for me, where I can really appreciate the systems and, like, certain games, I really enjoy it, and then other games, I'm just like, I don't know. It's, I, 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 I still like to think about it and think through it, but it's, sometimes the fun isn't 
apparent for me. Uh, or it doesn't come through right every single time I play it. Yeah, uh, then Fujin is to you as uh, Terra Mystica is to me. Every time I play Terra Mystica, I'm like, this is really neat. Oh, why am I in last place still? You know, it's just kind of like, this is cool. And I think what it is for Food Chain is it's kind of sandboxy enough that you can really just try a bunch of different things and the map changes each time, so it does play differently each time. So, I mean, I like games that do that, and this game does that. So that could be yeah. why. That that could be a contributing factor. Yeah. I Every time I play it, too, I always think, like, on turn three or four, like, oh, wow, I could have really, like, recruited and trained better and, like, had a more optimal strategy and probably should have thought it through a little bit more. Similar to, like, in Terra Mystica, where, like, one or two different moves can have totally different uh, game progressions for you. Right, big snowballing effects. Uh-huh. Yep. Anyway, uh, Ben, why don't you tell us what else you played? Because Nick and I are saving our other game for the uh, Game of the Week segment. Sure. Uh, anybody who listened to our last podcast, um, spoiler alert, we talked about games that we really want to play, um, but haven't spoiler played yet. Alert. For the last... Okay, go on. Well, if people haven't listened, then they're <laughs> listening to this one before. I don't know. But spoiler alert, we talked about games that we haven't played yet that are like on our list of two-play games. Uh, and one of the ones that I mentioned that I really wanted to try was uh, Star Wars Rebellion, uh, which is a two-player uh, Empire versus Rebels uh, hidden, hidden movement-esque game, where as the Empire... Uh, the player who is the Empire, which was me in this game, uh, is trying to find the rebel base in the planetary systems. Uh, yeah, Jonah, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt, sorry, but I think a really easy way to describe these games is it's a cat and mouse game. Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good term. Yep, and I would say that the Empire is the cat and the rebels are the mice. And uh, I was a cat, and I hate cats, but I was a cat. Uh, and I was searching for that mouse, and I had to search through the galaxy, and uh, try. And I was playing with Greg, and Greg, uh, who's been on the podcast before, he's played before, um, and he told me before we started playing that the the Empire is typically a little more fun for new players, just because it's a little more straightforward. Um, and he's only played as the Empire one time, so we definitely want to play again. But he's going to be the Empire next time. Uh, but we we were playing and it, it's one of those games that seems really intimidating to like get started and play because there's so much to it and it's like a huge board that literally covered my entire table uh when you open it up it's crazy um and uh you what's neat is you play these mission cards and then you have to assign uh leaders from your faction to which mission is being played but you play the missions face down uh and the leaders these little cardboard tokens have symbols on the pieces that show what the leader is proficient in. So for example, Darth Vader will have these three red fists, which means he's good at fighting-based missions. Um, he might have some other symbols as well, because he might be good at something else, but he's primarily a fighting-based leader. Um, so if I were to play a mission that has this little has the same little fist symbol, I would assign Darth Vader to it because it would allow me to roll more dice to attempt to succeed at that mission uh, and be more proficient. 
But what's really cool about that is Greg is playing and assigning leaders at the same time that I am. Although technically in the rules, the rebels are supposed to play their missions first, so it's a little easier for the Empire to react, which the rebels are always at a disadvantage in this game, which I guess makes sense in the theme of Star Wars. But basically what's neat is I would be looking at what leaders he was playing and what symbols they have and try and guess at what missions he was assigning leaders to because you leave some leaders unassigned so that you can contest various missions that the other player is doing. So if I were to send Darth Vader out to do a mission and Greg left Chewbacca off to the side as an unused leader, Chewbacca also has three red fists on his little board so he would send Chewbacca out to contest Darth Vader and they would be equally matched in terms of the number of dice we'd be rolling to try and succeed Hmm. Um, so you're trying to play this even in assigning missions and leaders this little cat and mouse game trying to guess at what the other player is is trying to play Um, and I guess I was just having a really good week of board games because I ended up winning this one too Um, which I think is honestly I think the Rebels are it's supposed to be harder for the Rebels to win, so I think it makes a little more sense that I ended up winning. Um, and I promised Greg I wouldn't talk too much about his brain fart that led to my victory, but I do have to talk about it. Otherwise, there's going to be no context to how I won. But the Rebels, before when the game starts, the Rebels will pick from this deck called the Probe deck, and they will pick out a planet to use as their home base. And I, as the Empire, am trying to draw cards from that probe deck to see which planets they are not hiding on. Because they remove that card from the probe deck and keep it to the side. So I'm trying to thin that deck to see where they are not so that I can go in and attack their planet that they are on once I find out which planet it is. Uh, So the Rebels have a mission card that should they succeed they are able to move their rebel base to another planet without obviously telling me which planet they're moving to, but also without taking a card out of the probe deck, which means I could draw it and think they're not on that planet when they might be. So it Mm. makes it a lot more difficult for me. And what happened was I sent Darth Vader out to where he put Chewbacca and I captured Chewbacca. And I I had a mission card that I can interrogate a captured leader and that other player if I were to succeed, has to tell me three planets, and one of them has to be where their home base is. Now, Greg's brain fart was he did not move the home base immediately after telling me the three planets. So what happened was on the next draw of the probe card deck, I was drawing four cards because I had like other missions I succeeded at. Normally, you only draw two cards. And I literally drew two of the three planets that he told me, so I knew he was on the other one. So I set in my Death Star and blew up the whole planet. Yeah. So I so I won. But basically, his brain fart that haunted him afterwards, and he even texted me about it, saying, "Oh, this is don't don't talk about this too much on the podcast. <laughs> it's it's haunting me." Uh, was that he didn't immediately move the rebel base, so it made it a little easier for me to find out where he was just based on succeeding on that mission. Hmm. So, what you're saying is Chewie is a snitch. Yeah, Chewie is a uh, snitch. That that cannot be canon. How do you even well, interrogate a Wookiee? You know, I feel like I feel like that's not him. 
I, look, I don't know. I don't know how the Empire does things. All I know is that I interrogated Chewie, I found their base, and then the next day after we played, GameNerds.com had the expansion on their deal of the day, and I bought it because this game was incredible, and I loved every second of it. It was super epic, which is a weird way to describe a board game, but it was super epic. It literally felt like you were playing a... Like, in the Star Wars universe, it like was super thematic. And what I've heard and what Greg has also heard, and I think he ordered it as well the same day, um, is the expansion kind of fixes the combat because the combat is a little bit fiddly. Um, your, your units that you produce uh, have like air-based health or ground-based health, depending on the unit type and you roll red or black dice, and the red are, like, air combat, and the black are ground combat, and you have to, like, pick how many dice you want to roll, because you maxed out at five, but you can still roll more than five dice, potentially, so you have to really pick and choose to get the five dice down to the ones you want. It's a little weird, and I heard that the expansion fixes that a bit. So I'm excited to seeing what it's like when it comes in. Um, but I think the best the best description I can give this game is and only because i have played war of the ring this is a very comparatively very light war of the ring um mm. war of the ring in my opinion just because i love lord of the rings is probably a game i would rather play but there is no chance that i would get it to the table as easily as this game this game is easy to set up easy to it's pretty easy to play once you get into the flow of it and it's really just intimidating to look at but it's not really difficult to play um nick have you played this or war of the ring nope nope i've watched reviews of both of them though and it is my hope to someday play one or both because i have not played any game similar to them and they're all they're both on the list of like uh war euro games or like war right. games for the euro gamer uh yeah. lists which i'm totally interested in trying more of that because i'm not super into war game war games but like those these these two seem like they would be pretty cool well i will 100 percent play this game with you online like absolutely it was awesome yeah i was about to ask you played it online with him so no, so we actually played in person. Uh, lucky. So duck. I we only we only did this because we had hung out with Greg that one time uh, in person playing disc golf, and I felt comfortable playing this game in person with Greg. Um, but we had hand sanitizer set up on the table to use between uh, turns here and there. Uh, we did keep it as safe as we could, uh, but we played in person, so it was the first. It was the first in-game in-person board game I'd played in a while. Um, Always exciting. I'm jealous. Yeah, it was sweet. So, yeah. I uh, I recommend this game to... Let's see. Who would I give this game a recommendation for? I think Nick. it's a little... Yeah, I mean, Nick, for sure. I think it's a little heavy for like newcomers to board gaming. But if people are willing to learn the rules... And there is a... Uh, rtfm video which i will not repeat what that stands for uh but it's a video on youtube and it's read the effing manual i'm not gonna say the whole thing because we're clean here um 
but it's an 18 minute video on how to play the game. And that's what I watched. And I watched it uh, about 40 minutes before playing the game. And I think I had a pretty good grasp on how to play the game from that alone. So uh, if somebody is a Star Wars fan and is even semi invested enough in board games to want to try a big thematic board game, I would 100% recommend this game. And I won, which is all <laughs> And there is a tabletop simulator mod for it. So uh, it's got the expansion in there, too. And it's got five stars. So uh, whenever you want to play, Nick, you just uh, let me know. Damn. Yep. Well, you definitely sold it. <laughs> Nick, why don't you tell us what your choice for Game of the Week is? This week's Game of the Week. Do you have a cool uh, <laughs> segue? We do thing? now. Nice. Oh, oh boy. Uh, this week, well, I think last time it was Hansa Teutonica, which is one of my top five games. And this is another one of my top five games. Uh, Tokyo Metro. Uh and including its Osaka expansion, which is basically the base game with a different map and a few different cards. Um, by Jordan Draper, small box game creator. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Should I? Should I? Have you guys talked about it before on the podcast? Do people would people know? I've mentioned it briefly, but I think you should uh, give us a good little explanation. And then we can also segue from that into the expansion, so it'll make some sense. All right, yeah. So Tokyo Metro is like a much, well, not much lighter. It's like a medium, medium heavy, I think it's like a 3.4 on Board Game Geek uh, weight game. It's similar to 18xx, obviously lighter than 18xx games. Sorry, Nick, just really quickly, we haven't used the BGG numerical scale yet. So since you mentioned 3.4, you now have to explain what that is a <laughs> what that is out of and what that means. Yeah, we were using the peanut butter scale, which I think, was the, I think well, that was the episode that you would first yeah. joined. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, that requires too much thinking, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But anyways, yeah, BGG is... Uh, their rating scale is 0 to 5, and I think most games are above a 1. And I think... I, I haven't seen any that are a 5, so many of them are between like 2 and 4, the majority of board games out there. Right, uh, it's and, called their complexity scale, and the right. users rate a number between 1 and 5 based on how complex it is. And there's a lot of debate in the hobby if complexity is rules complexity or depth in the game but we don't have that taxonomical ability so we just have between one and five what number would you give this for complexity and nick says that this is a (laughs) 3.4 myself and the people of board game (laughs) geek uh yes so i think most uh 18xx games are around like four point one or to four point three or something. Anyway, so lighter than that, but also there's the category of games cube rails, which are another 
I'm only comparing it to these two genres because it is also a rails type game where you're dealing with train lines and stocks. Um, so yeah, anyways, good medium weight uh, game where you're uh, just, I think you're like a, a some Tokyo businessman who's, or company that's trying to establish or purchase train stations throughout the Tokyo metro system. Uh, and then you're buying stocks in the different train lines that are metro train lines that are running through the map. Um, and yeah, that's like the general overview of what the game is. Uh, but then the actual mechanisms of the game is it's uh, so you're, it's based on this grid map uh, where the different Tokyo metro stations are placed. It's I'm pretty sure it's an more or less exact copy of the Tokyo Metro map. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure it is, especially because I recognized some stations from when Jessica and I were in Japan, so that's neat. Yep, yep. And uh, you've got this little dude that you're moving around the map to build the stations and the um, the action selection system is... You're, it's similar to Agricola where there's like a set or randomized set of uh, action cards out that you are placing your workers on um, and then that spot is taken for that round uh, usually and uh, those cards are how you take your actions and building your train empire and buying stocks and things like that. All right, yeah, good explanation. How many rounds are there, and how long does the game take? Uh, According to I our think, online plays. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it. they averaged around two to two and a half hours for the... I think we played four players, usually, uh, with the, the base game, and that was usually around two, two and a half hours, but I think there was a pretty good good amount of time between our plays, so we had some remembering to do and uh some small rules teachings so it could probably get played in hour and a half to two hours once you're used to it and i think it's the the rounds are dependent on how many people there are um but i think it's somewhere between like five to eight rounds depending on if you have two to five players so mm -hmm. more players less rounds but i think they're usually around the same play times. All right, yeah. I just wanted to say that one of the things I really like about Tokyo Metro is the weighing of if you want to have something make you money for the end of the game or give you money for during the game. So there are trains that actually move on the map. I mean, they're little cylinders with arrows on them, but they're trains. and you can build stations, like Nick said, and if a train goes through a station, if the owner of that station is also an investor in that train line, then the train line itself will get $500. So there is a... Not a, not a chart. There is a... What's the word I'm looking for? An income something on the left? Track. An income track. Track, there it is. That's the, the English word. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there is a track on the left where you can track the incomes of all the trains. 
And if a train goes through a station, and like I said, the owner of the station is an investor on that train line, the train itself will just get $500. But if it goes through a station and the owner of that station does not have a share in that train line, then the train gets $200 and the owner of that station gets $200. So when you are building these stations and evaluating these trains, you have to wonder if getting $200 to use throughout the game is going to be good, or if the additional $500 evaluation on the train is better. Because if you are an owner of a share in a train line, then that train will pay out at the end of the game. So I enjoy that aspect quite a bit. There's also the speculation aspect. Nick, you want to talk about that? Uh, yes. So it's a kind of, it's a system to limit one player from like doing way too well in one of their train lines. You basically just, instead of investing in the company by buying stocks, you're instead, uh, speculating on its success and you're putting money in uh you're taking money out of your uh, personal bank now in order to guarantee money that you get out of that company uh before it pays out to its stockholders at the end of the game um so if you see some train line that someone else has bought the first stock in and therefore they're gonna you know, make a lot of money on it because they have a bunch of stations on that line. You can put some money down and uh, get a good amount of money out of that company before uh, the stocks pay out to them normally. Right. And the other interesting thing about that is each train line has two spots next to it for disks. And the disks that you can put there are either speed tokens to make the train go faster and hit more stations per round, or speculation tokens. So you can put speed tokens there to block other people from speculating on your train line and kind of stealing some of that money from you. And uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty neat part of the game. I, Ben. Oh yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was just gonna say um, that specific. Uh disc aspect of the game was one thing that I thought was really neat because I've only played this game one time but I am backing the expansions on Kickstarter because I I did really enjoy it um I remember when we had played uh it was with Nick and Nick had invested in a rail line and then put two speed tokens on that rail line in one turn which stopped other people from um from speculating on it. So I thought that was like a really neat move that uh, that I liked seeing that there was the ability to make a move like that to kind of protect yourself, but also that someone could jump in and speculate on a rail line uh, if they were fast enough or had that uh, foresight to do that. Um, so I just wanted to mention that little bit because I thought that was uh, a fun one. Yep. I... We'll go ahead and uh, get into why I like this game so much. Uh, similar to Hansa Teutonica, uh, and I guess pretty similar to like Terra Mystica and Food Chain Magnate, just these kinds of game systems that are pretty sandboxy. Like they give you the rules, and you know, 
you just kind of have to build a strategy uh, based on what seems the most optimal at the time or what looks like it's going to be the best thing over time. But really, it's like, I just remember, well, especially with the base Tokyo Metro map, because it is so densely packed and there's like a bunch of overlapping train lines and things going parallel and crossing, uh, similar to Hansa Teutonica with all the different routes and stuff. It is not the most visually apparent what the best thing to do is, especially the first game. Uh, but I really liked getting just, I thought about it, like, <laughs> between my play sessions, I, like, looked at the map and just was like, what, what is, what is this? What, what, how do, how do I figure this out? Because it, I really did not get it immediately. And that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think any game that you want to think about between plays is a good game because that is what keeps you going back. That's, you know, you get to try these new strategies the next time you get to see if this works or if that works, which I really like. And I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the tight clustered map because the, that map actually changes for the expansion. And, uh, the couple things that I mentioned so far, I brought up so we can talk about how it changes in the expansion. So, Nick, is it cool if we segue a little bit into the expansion? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, in the expansion, it is a different map. It is the map of Osaka instead of Tokyo Metro. And there are some different cards, so different actions that you can take. And there are also some actions that were taken out of the game. So the first of those, which I think might interest Ben, is that the base game allows you to buy a card, which lets you use that action yourself. So you can see a card that, you know, these are the spots where you put your discs to take actions. And in the base game, you can buy that card, so only you will be able to take that action in the future. The expansion gets rid of that. Another thing that the expansion gets rid of is the action to get a bonus amount to your turn order bid. So you have to bid for turn order in this game. And in the base game, there's a card that just says plus 200 to your next bid. That has been removed. The other thing that has been removed is the ability to start a train line without having to invest in it. So in the base game, you can just start a train line and it'll run to the end and back and then pop off the map if no one has invested in it by then. You can't do that in the expansion. Uh, so I think that is a list of what has been taken out. Right, Nick? Did I forget anything? Uh -huh. All right, so now let me talk about some things that it has added. Uh, one thing that it has added is the ability to sell a stock. You could not do that in the base game, and I'll let Nick talk about that in a few minutes because Nick actually did that, and he'll know why he did that more than I knew why he did it. Um, so you can sell a stock. The other thing that you can now do is you can copy an action. 
for the small fee of 200 yen, which is a lot of money in this game, kind of. And then the last thing that I want to touch on before I delve into the differences is each train line does not have two spots next to it now. There are train lines with one spot for speed tokens or spectate tokens, and there's even a train line with four spots next to it. So you can put four speed tokens next to this thing, and it'll go, what's five plus four? Twelve. Yep, it'll go nine, (laughs) nine spots each train running phase. So I thought that was a really great addition. The how not all the same, not all of the trains have only two spots next to them. The other thing that I really liked with the map is that there is no longer a station that has three circles there, and that matters because you have to pay more money per circle that is at a station. The circle is just the train line that goes through the station. And I felt that in the base map, there were two spots that were just kind of money printers. Because one of them had, I think, six train lines going through it, which is just insane to think about for how you can make money in this game. So Nick, I'll shut up now and you can say something. And then I'm going to talk about my thoughts on the copy mechanic. Yeah, the the expansion he Jordan he Jordan Draper, the designer, <laughs> described it as a punchier version of the base game, quicker and punchier. Um and I definitely think it is the map that I will use for uh introducing it to first time players, but he did say that you could use the base game cards to play with. Hmm. Um that map also you could decide which deck of cards you want to use with which map um and that is mainly because of the uh sell stock mechanic i didn't like the um, not having that extra money for bidding i feel like was kind of you had to be a lot more money smart kind of because money was I, I at least felt it was quite a bit tighter. Uh, yeah, I missed that bidding addition. I liked that part of the base game. Yeah. When you say, yeah. so that's where you can get the card that gives you money toward your bid right away. Uh, yeah, for the for the next round, it yep. just like you get free two hundred dollars. I like yeah, that too. The, I used yeah. it a few times. I it felt it. good it, that yeah. you had like a good amount of control over. Yeah what you were going to be able to do next round. Uh, But also that selling stock thing, the the one card that I utilized is basically a uh, counter spell to the... uh, uh, Spectate. Yeah, speculation magic card. Oh yeah, not spectate, Uh, speculate. Oh god, an idiot. uh, Because basically what it does is you sell your stock uh, during the game and you get the full value before the money gets taken out of the company from the speculation. So it kind of, I mean, we only had, I was the only one who did that, and I don't know if it really would have benefited uh, you, Jonah, or um, Jake, that's right, uh, to have done it with either of your other companies. But 
the yeah speculation just felt like such a it, it was a pretty big gamble because you're getting rid of a significant amount of money um during the middle of the game in order to speculate on someone's line and then at least with buying a stock you know you're pretty much guaranteed to get a significant amount of money back but with the speculation if you're not gonna have guaranteed money made from that it seemed like runaway winners might have been more possible at least in this game although it is shorter so maybe the potential for money making is uh less if you have less rounds right i think yeah i mean speculating in the base game is effectively free money because the the train's value is not going to go down so you will guaranteed get your initial speculation investment money back plus some but you know it is only end game money so it's not like you're going to get money to use but the addition of being able to sell your share to tank the company does at least make you have to think about whether or not you're going to speculate so i like that change just for having to think about it um and then the the copy action we did not use the copy action in our entire game and just like Nick thinks about games afterwards, I too thought about this game afterwards, and I was thinking, why didn't we use the copy action our entire game? And I came to a conclusion. Are you ready, Nick? And I'm Ben, ready. I guess. I'm ready. Serve it up. So I think the reason that no one used the copy action in our game is that it costs 200 yen to do, and 200 yen is a lot of money in that you generally want to go first to save 100 or 200 yen. So the only reason you're going to take the copy action is to save 1 or 200 yen, but then the fact that you have to spend 200 yen to take that action kind of defeats the purpose of it. So then I thought, what is the one instance where you would want to take the copy action? And my thought for that is there is an action that lets you turn in a bicycle or a speed token for a free station. And that action alone can save you 500 yen, 800 yen. It can really save you a lot by just turning in a speed token for a free station. So I think the only time you would ever want to use the copy action is to copy that one. What do you think? Yeah. No, it seemed often seemed like I didn't have enough money and also was action disc poor to where, because you also have to spend an extra action disc to like you put one on the copy thing and then you have to put another one on the action that you wanted to take. So it's like, I have to use two action discs to do this and yeah, like you said, unless it was for that one thing that was basically a free action if you already had the bike or uh, speed token. It just didn't seem financially smart. It yeah, just, it seemed it just prohibitively seemed like expensive. Yeah, but then again, it was our first play, and maybe it's different in four-player because I know that certain spots were more used than others. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it'll be more useful in another playthrough. Mm -hmm. um, so, yep, 
No, I thought it was. Uh, I like the map a lot more. It was. Yeah, me too. Less information to have to think about, and uh, it was very obvious what you should or like what train lines were running where and where you should build stations and where you should not. So I I like that quite a bit. Yeah, I think the new map was good. I think that the change to actions was interesting, but like we were saying, iffy on some, okay on the others. I did really like the fact that the different train lines had between one and four spots, because then you actually had to kind of think about which ones are worth starting for speculation purposes. Yep, yep. I... Oh no! I was gonna discuss. I've only I haven't played the expansion, as you guys know. I only played the base game. Um, but if we were giving like our overall thoughts in general, I think I've said this before, but we never went super in depth into Tokyo Metro. The only thing for me that I didn't enjoy was I didn't think that loans had enough of an impact. And I and I'm 99% sure I've mentioned this before because I remember in our game, Nick, you took out like two or three loans and you still won the game, and they like seem to have almost no effect on you winning or losing but i took out one loan and i was still like six thousand dollars behind you and i'm like if you're taking three loans out in the middle of a game i feel like it should hurt you a little more but maybe i just didn't play it right i didn't buy many stocks in our game and i remember that so that might have hurt me a bit um but that was my one one big con from what i recall when i played yeah, I definitely agree, because when you take a loan, you just get a 1,000 yen, and then if you don't pay it back by the end of the game, then at the end of the game, after you have earned all of your money, you pay back 1,500. And sure, paying back an extra 50% sounds punishing, but I took out three loans in our game, and then I won by like 3,000 yen. So the fact that I had to pay an extra 1,500 and it didn't affect me that much, yeah, it should be much more punishing, I think. Yep, that was my experience too. I was just thinking about how during the game, if your your uh, investments are going to come back like a hundred percent more at least, like if you get something early on and money gets fed into the line, whatever. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. It, it's all about investing, and yeah, I I think it is a very forgiving though. Like where in other games loans can be super punishing, uh, so that is kind of nice. But yes, I I do think they should be a bit more uh, punishing. But maybe there, maybe he just intended for those spots to be like super competitive or something. Maybe we should right. use the copy action to take the loan after someone else had or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah, another thing I just wanted to mention really quickly because we didn't really talk about it at all yet, but. At the end of each action phase, there is a train running phase. And this, I can talk about Food Chain Magnet because we just talked about it a few minutes ago. Um, this is just like the dinner time phase in Food Chain Magnet. It's kind of just like you you can hit play and the game just runs itself. You know, you have to move the pieces around, but it's just very set what's going to happen. So you can really see what's going to happen at the end of the phase and think about that for your actions. And I, as the person who always teaches Food Chain Magnate and the person who always has to run the dinner time, 
and I found running the trains running phase to be quite relaxing. I thought it was an enjoyable aspect to the game. Yep, and it's much easier in the expansion. Just or it's quicker, rather, only because there's I think like four or five fewer train lines, so less uh, right. upkeep in that respect. But yeah, nope. That's uh, I definitely enjoy that too. It's a uh, nice move in the little tokens up and down. But I think in the real version, which is on a cloth map, the and has tiny wooden pieces, it might not make it be, messy. Yeah, I, it's not in, it's not the the best on tabletop simulator. But at least things like stand up properly, whereas on a, a cloth map with folded piece folded parts of it maybe they don't stand up too good who knows i'll have to wait till february or whenever the uh kickstarter delivers mm -hmm. to find out all right oh, so in conclusion that. do we recommend the game yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> we're gonna need we're gonna need to take uh little snippets of these voices so we're gonna have to take his the game of the week is, and yeah, for every game that we recommend. That's our game recommendation noise now, yeah. Yeah. I'll try and wow. isolate that audio later. How I many do... How many yas does this game get? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, this this game gets uh, two yas out of two for me. Uh, I, re I really enjoyed this game. I just wish the loans were a little more punishing, but I... I I am not a huge fan of 18xx style, like literal visual style. I think they're all ugly. And this oh, for, for sure. Me, yeah, Nick and, and I agree, me, and we played one. Yeah, and this for me is not ugly. I think it's a very pretty minimalistic looking game, and uh, it brings in some of those aspects as you mentioned before, Jonah. And Nick, you both mentioned that it's a little bit of a lighter 18xx, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing it again, and I'm looking forward to playing the expansion when that comes in as well. Excellent, yeah. I definitely enjoy it as a lighter, faster 18xx. You know, it doesn't yeah. take five hours. Have you tried playing another 18xx recently, Jonah? No, but I want to. Do you? Huh. Have you? You got the itch. I have about zero interest <laughs> at this point. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think eventually I, I'm going to want to try it again at a, another point in my life. Uh, right. May, maybe when I can play it in person. Um, if I, I just can think it's a it. fun system to try stuff in and just know yeah. I'll never be good at. And that's okay. With me. <laughs> it's fine. It's an experience. Okay, Nick, you chose the game and. Ben chose the mechanic? Kind of. I, To be honest, I thought of this mechanic as I was playing um, Star Wars Rebellion. Uh, I don't know why I thought that this mechanic was applicable, but I thought of it as, as I was playing, and I was like, this might be a neat mechanic. Uh, and then Nick seemed to agree, and the mechanic is bluffing mm -hmm. during games. Uh, Are you telling the truth? Whoa. Whoa, look at that. I don't Lame. know. I might be. I might not be. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I was thinking kind of how I was telling you guys it's a bit of a cat and mouse with what leaders you are uh, assigning to your missions in Star Wars Rebellion. 
I thought there was like a little bit of a bluffing aspect there because the leaders have different symbols, so you can kind of bluff by putting like Chewbacca only had those fists. So I know if Greg was putting Chewbacca on a mission card, it's a it's a mission card that uses that symbol. But like Princess Leia had like three different symbols on her on her piece. So you could almost kind of try and fake out the opponent because I wouldn't really know what type of mission she was uh, going to be assigned to. So I wouldn't know what leaders to keep back to try and oppose her. So I thought that that might have been a little bit of a bluff type game uh, in there. So that's how I thought of the mechanic when I was thinking of it. Yeah, that's a... I definitely thought about things like that, too, where it's like a light bluffing mechanism, not like a direct lie to the person, but like maybe you suggest you're going to do something else, but in reality, it's all part of your plan. But I didn't know if that necessarily applied fully. So, uh, but yeah, no, I definitely thought about that, too. It was like, a, but the at least for the games that I that I have played that are uh, direct bluffing, I guess, are um, Cockroach Poker. Oh, so good. Skull and uh, I, Secret Hitler was also a hidden role game. So I don't... But then again, you're like lying to people. So even though... I don't know. I, yeah, yeah I, think, those... I think bluffing can be pretty broad. Um, but when I was thinking of it, I was thinking of like certain things might have a couple of options and you're trying to get somebody to think that you're playing one option versus another type of deal. Um, M house ruling social deduction games out of this conversation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That I do fair. not think that is bluffing. No. That's okay. Fair. But coup, coup would still be. Coup was on my list. Yeah. Okay. Good. What was the second game you mentioned before, Nick? Uh, skull. Oh, skull. Yes. I love cockroach poker. <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've never played cockroach poker. It is yep. the quintessential Jonah doing dumb stuff game, I because so many times I have just take taken the top card of my deck, not looked at it, handed it to someone, and said, "This is a spider," and people are so afraid that my like one in eight chance happens that they just don't call you on it, and I love it. Yep, it's a. Uh... The game that has gone over the best for me playing with people that don't normally play board games. Uh, one, it's like a two or three minute teach. Like you just, you can basically just teach as you play the first couple hands. And, uh, and then it's a four or five minute play. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's uh, uh, also enjoyable because only one person loses. So that, you know, can be a good feeling because most of the people are going to be winners so that leaves them with a positive experience and also it's just like so rules light and you're like you can lie to people or tell them the truth and it's super quick and you're not sure like you don't even need to like call them on their bluff half the time because you can just like pass the card that they're uh, potentially bluffing to you about to the next person down the line so it's yeah, very great game. I got it like two months ago, and I've played it with, I think, two different people. I will have to try besides it. my girlfriend, who 
they 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 loved it. I will have to try it. Jonah, what's uh what's the, what was one of the ones on your list? I have two games on my list. Although I should have had Cockroach Poke on it, but I was too stupid to figure that one out. Um, I have Sheriff of Nottingham, because you guys mentioned that before when we were talking about this. Sheriff of Nottingham is a game that is pretty much entirely bluffing. It is a game in the Robin Hood universe, I guess. Uh, And you are trying to sneak in goods past the sheriff while also being the sheriff one turn per round. And you have these great little snap felt bags where you're putting contraband and maybe not even contraband in. And yeah, I mean, just like all bluffing games, you don't have to lie ever. And in Sheriff of Nottingham, you'll put some stuff in this little bag, you'll snap it, and you'll tell the sheriff what's in it. And they have to decide if you're telling the truth or not. And then they might call your bluff. Bluffing mechanic, anyone? Nick, have you played yeah, Sheriff of Nottingham? <laughs> no. Go ahead, Ben. <laughs> Did I, I was going to say the, I was, I was say the only thing about Sheriff of Nottingham is it literally is like the person who's the sheriff can literally just say, yeah, I'm going to inspect this. There's like nothing to it outside of that. Right. Which I, I find to be a little bit uh, wacky, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a fun it's a fun little game, I think, that... Uh, is uh it's definitely an easy game that involves bluffing that uh, I think has a theme that people kind of like so uh it's it's yeah, definitely it's one enjoyable. I would recommend. Yeah. Can I mention my other game cuz it's such a short non-game? Yeah, go for it. I don't even know if you guys have played it. Have you played Liar's Dice? I've 100% heard of it, but I haven't played it. Liar's Dice is a game where everyone has I don't know, five dice, I think. And you roll them all in a little Yahtzee cup. And then you look under your Yahtzee cup to see what you have. And then someone opens the bidding or opens the lying, really. And they say, I have two ones. And then you can either call BS or improve their bid, I guess. It's not really a bid because you're not bidding for anything. But you either say a higher pip value or a higher number of the same thing. So if someone said two ones, you can say two twos, or you can say whatever the other thing is that I can't figure out right now. But you just keep going around until someone eventually has to say BS. And I believe the the ones kill the sixes, so you can like go back around with a higher number of ones than sixes, because obviously six is the highest number on a standard D6. But um, yeah, that's Liar's Dice, and if someone calls you on your bluff and you were lying, you lose one of your dice, and if you were telling the truth, they lose one of theirs. And you keep going until it's one person with their die left. Uh, it was featured in Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean, however you say it. And uh, I, feel I, like when, remember... I feel like when I say that word alone, I say Caribbean, but in Pirates of the Caribbean, it is Caribbean. Right. Yep. But all I know is whoever it was, Will, Will, I think was uh, Orlando Bloom's name, lost to Davy Jones. And then he 
the had game the Davy serve Jones. on the. Was it really in that movie? Spoiler yeah. alert: He's Davy oh. Jones. Oh no! no okay, nobody listened to our previous episode before this one, <laughs> and nobody watched that movie before or after listening to this. Yeah, sorry, people. It's like a nine-year-old movie at this point, but I spoiled it. Uh, uh, that seems like a game where there needs to be some uh, heavy drinking involved, perhaps just or or money. Just the yeah yeah or money. There you go. It it seems like it needs that extra uh, layer right, of yeah. something to really uh, bring up the stakes. Yeah, Ben is the non-drinker among us, which is very cool and fine. But uh, I have found that with social deduction games and bluffing games, a little bit of alcohol does uh, make it enjoyable. All I heard there was that I'm fine. Cool. <laughs> uh, no, I, I. Speaking of like social deduction esque games, Nick, as as I said before, Coup was on my list as well. Um, it was actually my list was literally Star Wars Rebellion, Sheriff of Nottingham, and Coup. Um, but Coup is, was a Ooh. neat one that I I played that one time, and I'd like to play it again because it's quick and easy. Uh, but basically, you you get these decks. There's a deck of cards, and you get a roll. Um, and there are some repeats. There are repeats of the cards in the deck. Uh, so there's five unique cards. It's a deck of 15 cards. So there's three of each. Um, but basically, you are you're bluffing as to what uh, role you are based on the cards in your hand. So you're playing various things out into the middle of the table, trying to convince people that you're a certain role while you might be another role. Uh, and it's all about uh, I, I would say that this is more bluffing than social deduction, personally. But it's a mix of it's a mix of both because you're trying to deduce whether or not that person is bluffing, um, and call them out on it. And I think who did we did we play it with Jamie? Was that who we played it with, uh, Jonah? Was it was that a while game with ago. me. Holy smokes! Yeah, it was a while ago, but it was really fun, and it was it was it was the only time I'd played the game. But uh, I'd like to play it again. Uh, I guarantee we played it with Jamie. Yeah. And I, the one thing that I'll say about bluffing games, at least so far, is like the games that are pretty much solely based on bluffing are usually pretty short and easy games, which I think is a good way. Because I, I wouldn't want to be like lying for two hours straight unless it's a hidden trader game. Um, so I think it's nice to get these little like pops of like bluffing games in personally. Right, that's what's nice about the mechanic is that the games tend not to overstay their welcome, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I uh, am horrible at bluffing. <laughs> I I don't know. I, I like to think it's just because I'm such a good person and I'm a bad liar. And uh, Oh, wow. But, you know, uh, but no, I, for whatever reason, am just like really, really bad at these games because even when i'm like telling the truth everybody thinks i'm lying <laughs> and when i'm lying they think i'm telling the truth what's it's good you know maybe i'm a bit of a wild card i think i'm just very easy to read though uh you got a really bad poker face yeah yeah so i but i enjoy them like like i said cockroach poker i yeah i think i <laughs> i think i also tend to get targeted in that game 
because people think I'm good and it's my game. And so I think I've lost uh, two out of the four times I've played it, and um, which is considerable since there's only one loser. Uh, and uh, yeah, with Coup, I haven't played that in, I think, like a year and a half or so, but I just remember I was... They knew. my. I played with my two two friends in Sweden, and they just could read me like a book, and I lost my one of my roles like almost immediately every time we played. So, but they're still good. Yeah, I think just I think it's important to point out with cockroach poker that there is only one loser because that's really a different thing in board games, at least in my experience, because. Most games you play to be the one winner, but in this you just try not to be the one loser. And I think it's a really fun uh, flip on everything else. <laughs> Unless you're that one loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, that's that's the thing. It, I It's all good-hearted, and I just enjoy the fact that other people are enjoying causing me <laughs> pain. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're invested in it, so that's that's something. All right, Nick, as the guest host, you were able to choose the topic this week, and it is an interesting one. What is it? Uh, I can't remember the exact way I phrased it, but it's more or less uh, playing games that you know you don't enjoy. All right, and when you phrased this initially, did you mean, because I didn't ask for any clarification, so this is going to be a wild ride, did you mean playing games that you know you aren't going to enjoy or playing games and not enjoying them while you're playing them? Yes. Oh, excellent. Well, then why don't you start us off? Uh, yeah, well, my intended uh, game of the week that I did not realize had already been a game of the week in-ish uh, is a game that I do not like. <laughs> I have more or less figured that out. I've played it three times after the first time I realized I didn't like it, but then I think played it two just more to be times. sure. Yeah, just to be sure. Uh, but also, I it seemed like a game that I wanted to like, but both times I played it, I just had such a bad experience. It's so potentially like toxic for me, at least. Like I just dug, I I messed up. I messed up both times, and I, I, I blame the deck of cards needing to know what all of the different cards are uh, and drafting properly. Otherwise, you you can very quickly not become the winner. Uh, and so, yeah, I I just wanted to talk about it because of that. But yes, I you can't love them all, you know? There's a bunch of games out there, and uh, not all of them are going to be for you. Mm -hmm. So what strategies do you employ when you aren't enjoying a game besides playing <laughs> it two more times to make sure? Uh, generally, I can avoid it because I think our tendency has been uh, at least playing online is if we don't love a game, we'll usually discard play it. it. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I remember I, I thought Lorenzo Il Magnifico and... Uh, Marco Polo were both okay games, but I didn't really like playing them. But 
that's fine because I don't think any of us really like loved them, so we were right. able to avoid it. But yeah, some sometimes, yeah, I have a really bad problem of just like mentally checking out uh, when I'm playing a game that I don't like, and I'm like actively disliking it as I'm playing, and I'm like. I don't even care how well I do. I just, I'm not having fun. So I'm just going to do whatever, uh, which is a problem. And I could probably try harder, but I think I just already determined in my mind that the game was bad. Mm -hmm. I think we all can do that. And I'm not, I don't mean to throw you under the bus here, Ben, because I don't even remember what this was, but I remember we played something in the last six months and you didn't enjoy it. And I didn't notice how much you didn't enjoy it until you apologized afterwards for not enjoying it so much. What game was it? Was it Teach You? Yeah, no, why didn't Teach You? No, Teach You was super obvious that I wasn't enjoying it. <laughs> it was super obvious. Uh, it was it, the, honestly, the only other thing I could think of is Indonesia. Then it must have been Teach You, yeah. But I definitely apologized for Teach You because I was... What a wild ride. I was verbally uh I was speaking my mind that I didn't have <laughs> that I wasn't having fun. Uh very very much so. I was making it clear I didn't enjoy it. And I did apologize afterwards because I don't I don't like doing that and I try not to and I usually don't, but it was very very frustrating to me. But among so, friends you can air your grievances. No, I just I don't want to bring anybody else down while playing a game. Like it it to me, it's I'd rather play the game in a really crappy way, like because I have no idea what I'm doing and just kind of like try stuff and see what happens, than like complain about it and make somebody else feel bad about the game. I guess. Right. Um, yeah i I wrote down two things coming into this discussion. I wrote down: be a good sport, try something fun. Yep. So you know. I have played tons of games that I really did not enjoy. And I think sometimes all you can do is just try and do something quirky and see what levers you can pull. And, you know, I think it's important not to... I know this is what you're saying about, like, above the table, not trying to drag anyone else down with you. But I think if you're not enjoying a game, you should also try not to ruin someone else's game like what they're actually doing in the game you know if you're in last place you shouldn't say oh let me just go stab the person in second to last place to really bring them down with me you know i yep. think that is something to be avoided yep and yeah. i think i don't think that i when i when i said that i just do stupid things i don't think i meant it in that regard i think just more like i'll look for something that isn't gonna it's not a huge benefit to me, but it seems like it's a more fun option that something than something that might be a little more beneficial to me. And I'll try mm -hmm. that instead. Um, but I'm typically not a fan of like, even when I'm leading a game as rare as that is, I'm not like a fan <laughs> of like pu punching down on somebody. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I try not to vocalize if I'm not enjoying a game until afterwards, just because I don't, I don't want to disappoint other people as well. Like I know some games are really well-loved by certain people. Like, I commend you for playing Shia with, with us, and I know that it wasn't your type of game. But like you said, like I couldn't tell 
like I knew it wasn't your type of game and I could kind of tell that it wasn't your type of game as we were playing, but like you didn't bring the game down to the point where I didn't enjoy it. And like that's Ryan do as well. So like that's kind of my strategy going in. Like even if I don't like a game, I'm not going to try and drag somebody else down because I know that somebody likes that game and I don't want them to feel terrible about the game. I totally forgot about our play of that. Nick, you were going to say something, so I don't want to say that before I go into this. Please, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I totally forgot about our play of that game because I was trying to think of games that I like really actively didn't enjoy. Yep. And, oh man, was that one of them. That was like three and a half hours of total misery for me after the first like five minutes. And, yep. you know, I'm glad that it wasn't apparent. Uh, I mean, I'm generally a laid-back, happy person, and I always say I'm happy to try any game. So, you know, yep. I gave it the old college try. I rolled dice nonstop <laughs> for four hours to for see if I could everything. do anything. Yep. And then if I had a successful die roll, I then rolled another <laughs> die to see what the first die told me to do, and then I died. Uh, not yeah. not with dice, but that you actually died. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. But yeah, yeah uh, I, half hours. Oh, it was yeah, it's a long. A, it's, one. A lo- it's a long Ooh. one, and it, it it only gets worse if you don't like. Usually, mid game will agree on like let's stop at fifteen victory points instead of twenty, because you're like you're supposed to play to twenty, but twenty Any game that you bail on every time you play it is not a good game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hard disagree with that one because she is in my top three, but. Oh That's right, fair. we're not supposed to be negative on other people's favorites. Sorry. No, it's I just it, violated no, the rule. I, no, I agree. I agree. I agree to an extent because for me, it doesn't feel like bailing because to me, when I've played that game, I've had nothing but crazy things happen, which are fun. Mm-hmm. So to me, it doesn't feel like bailing. It just feels like you know we're we're stopping. An agreed shorter game. Yeah, and it's 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 one of those games. As weird as it sounds, it's one of those games that, like, you don't know how it's going to play until you start playing it, at which point, when you have more of, a, like, a better feel for it, that's when you decide how long you want it to go. For me, at least, because it's so luck-based that if you, like, stay, say at the beginning, we're playing a 20, it could take five hours. Like, you don't know. Yep. Uh, board gaming is this very... Uh, there's almost like a social contract where like when you agree to play a game you agree to play oh oh you're still here do you think you're lost oh, oh. there he goes I he spoke to you soon. He's maybe back. he's back okay you can cut that part out <laughs> no 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 we're leaving more that authentic <laughs> yeah yeah i give that exit and entrance to hyas Dang Discord, always dropping out. Uh, yes, you... Social contract. Social contract. You be polite. You know, you don't want to be a jerk with the people you're playing with, but also you have to play the full game because if you don't, you're kind of ruining it for other people. And also it's like... Maybe I know I don't like a game like halfway through and then it's like, okay, if I can do this for another 45 minutes but yeah i have never left a game that i'd already started uh 
So I and I don't think that's like a very common thing at all. I remember Jonah, you telling me about how you were teaching food chain magnet to people and there was that oh one God, guy yeah. who sat through the teaching and then pretty much immediately after it started he was like so how how long is this game gonna take or, it was unbelievable whatever i had and just he, finished teaching to other people as well when he sat down he's like is there space i'm like oh yeah sure like i just i'm just about done teaching but i can start over for you and then i teach the whole game he's like looking around the room during the whole teach and then like you said you know we have to start and he's like, so how does how does one lose this game? Like, oh, could it. I could I be knocked out like halfway through? I'm like, nah, you're in it the whole time. So back out now if you want. And he's like, yeah, I'm gonna pass. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. And I'm I'm definitely cool with like the for games similar to that or like heavier games. I'm definitely cool with the play a turn, and if people aren't feeling it you like cut it off there like agreed upon but right like i i can i can specifically tell you the very first time i played cthulhu wars and i think i've said this before i don't know if i said it on the podcast but i definitely told you this jonah uh the very first time i played cthulhu wars it's my copy of the game it's a big expensive game i was very hyped up on it and this is what I mean by like tearing somebody else's like because some people are into their own games. Like I don't want to tear somebody down and make them feel bad about their own game. But what I I brought the game to this uh, this game night and it was a four player game. We were all new, and I was playing as Cthulhu, who's a very offensive character who's supposed to fight people. And it was like two turns into the game, and I attacked the player that was playing as uh, another faction. And literally from that point on, he's like, why are you punching down on me? You're in first place right now. First off, it were two turns into the game. Relax. <laughs> but literally the rest of the game was vocalizing, I'm just going to tank this game and screw everybody else over because this is BS. Uh, you punch down on me, so I'm going to ruin the game for everybody else. And then he ended up winning the game. So I like, love the, if I can't have fun, no one can have fun mentality. It, it, yeah, and it literally took me like a year to play the game again, and I really liked it the second time. I love it. I think it's a great game. It's a lot of fun. But it really put a damper on my enthusiasm for this expensive game that I had just bought because this guy was like being a jerk about it and was like, I'm going to ruin the game for everybody else. It... So I try to do the exact opposite of that, basically. Uh, pardon my French, but that guy is a total weenie. Um, and, I didn't uh, know where you were going with it when you said yeah, pardon uh, my French. That, yeah. I, I, I think I'd been to two, uh, four or five <laughs> uh, meetups before the pandemic happened. And, uh, yeah. People generally are very polite and i yeah i i'm glad i haven't encountered anyone like that because i think that would yeah totally just ruin the experience for me um yeah, yeah. knowing other people aren't having fun too like a, a opposite to how ben you i guess are good at hiding it and i think i tend to be too but like i have definitely played games where people are not enjoying it and i can kind of tell and that it does affect my enjoyment of the game. Like, right. You don't want to play a game with someone who's not enjoying it because then you don't enjoy it either. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, For sure. I, I, I don't know if you told the story about Greg with 
food chain magnate. <laughs> I think we mentioned it. Yeah, I don't. He, I don't recall this story, but but we he was, we're not going to use his direct quote. No, he was very down on himself, as you can be in food chain magnate because he did not have a great start. Uh, and so, would you yeah, say was, he had a brain fart similar to Star Wars Rebellion? Bigger. I, yeah, it was. Yeah, and I don't think. I don't know. It, yeah, it was he, my fault, not his fault. You'll have to you'll have to tell me off air because I'm interested in hearing this. It was hard because I think it was just us three playing and knowing that one of the three people is not having fun. It's like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, but but uh, he played it through. A little bit of complaining, <laughs> and then at the <laughs> end was like, "Yeah, maybe this game isn't for me." And that's the thing: yeah. uh, you can determine if you like a game or not, and then you can try to avoid playing it in the future. And uh, yeah. I guess it hasn't worked super great for online gaming because it's usually like, maybe we just like I have been playing maybe one or two games a week online, and so if you don't want to play one of those games, maybe maybe you don't. Maybe I don't play a board game for that week, which I don't really want to do, which I think kind of contributes to it. Yeah, and I think that might have been part of why I wanted to play Inish again the second and third time also, because I was just like, I just want to play a game. <laughs> and maybe yeah. I'll like it. <laughs> Who knows? I think you bring up a good point about like kind of knowing what games you enjoy and what games you don't enjoy. I think a really good way to avoid, and this is a really stupid thing to say, but a really good way to avoid playing games you don't enjoy is having a good idea of what type of game you like and dislike. So I know that I don't like area control games because I don't like games where you just punch each other in the mouth the entire time. I, you know, everyone says Food Chain Magnate is the meanest game out there and how could you undercut someone's sale or whatever. But just like an Inish, like you get attached to these figures and you're just like, you know, you work hard to build up this army and then just someone comes and kills them all. And you're like, uh, okay, I, I guess I'll start over and come and punch you in the mouth next. So my strategy is to avoid games that I know I'm not going to like. I don't know what games I'm not going to like if I haven't played them yet. Right. So I tend to just play everything and don't cry about it when I don't like it in the middle of the game, and then I don't play it again. Boom. In a perfect world. That's how we... Yeah. And especially if there were, you know, uh, board gaming days or meetups where there's multiple games going on, you definitely, I think, have more control over uh, what you want to play and can play. So. Yeah, Jessica and I actually, like a year ago now, uh, we were at our friend Patrick's for a board game day, like you're saying, and there were probably four or five tables of games going on. And when our game finished up, other people wanted to play this game that we weren't able to slot into, and the game that we had to slot ourselves into was Pipeline. And Jessica doesn't come out for board games that often, especially these like long board game days, because this is not her hobby, and she does not love playing board games, so I don't want to subject her to that. And, you know, she has choices in her life. Anyway, uh, we had to play Pipeline. And I knew going into it that I wasn't going to enjoy it because I had played it before and I wasn't a big fan. But, you know, sometimes, like you said with Inish, it's play a game that you're not in love with or don't play a game. 
and that was the choice we had. Too many bad games out there. That's the problem. If uh, designers just need to make all good games, how hard can that be? And then I'll always enjoy the games I play. Easy. Just go play one of Reiner Knizia's 600 games. Surely they're all good. <laughs> That about does it for today, everyone. Thank you, Nick, for joining us today. Yeah. Yes. Haha, <laughs> yeah. Very fun. And thank you, Louisa, for the great music throughout. Please join us again next week and try and play something that you enjoy. <laughs>